And now, on today's program... Let's see where it takes us today. Roger that. And welcome aboard. Capturing this millisecond. It's a fraction of a second. It's the only thing in person. Welcome to the Fuji Love Podcast. I'm your host, Jens Grauer, and this is another episode where we answer your questions that you submitted to us. If you have not yet, please make sure you check out fujilove.com and the Fujilove magazine to be up to date on all things Fujifilm. Once again, we are back with our much appreciated expert in the field of Fujifilm and many other things. Welcome back, Billy. How are you today? Uh, very well, thank you very much, and I'm glad to be uh, back again to chat everything Fuji. Great, we actually get a lot of uh, very positive feedback. I also want to say everybody writing us and, and uh, giving us positive feedback for the podcast, you are very welcome to also criticize if you have a point that you would like us to mention. Any kind of feedback is welcome. Having said that, let's jump in with what we always do in the first part. We answer your questions. Are you ready, Billy? Uh, let's do that. Question number one from Mark England. He has an X-T3 and uh, he recently swapped a flat battery with a fully charged battery. And when he turned the camera back on, it was reset to factory settings. And he was kind of surprised how that happened. Is that something we've seen before or we know where that comes from? A situation like that, you know, is somewhat unusual. Um, you know, if the battery dies uh, on the camera, uh, there's a certain amount of time for the internal battery to uh, keep some of the, keep the settings, you know, if you're looking to change batteries and you haven't placed a new one in, you know, four to five days, uh, it should be okay and the settings should remain. But uh, I'm not sure how long um, that camera was put with a flat battery for in terms of timing. The other possible issue could be, you know, the internal battery itself is is an issue. So I would just recommend, Mark, that. Uh, um, that you know if it happens again maybe you want to have your camera checked out uh, by a fujifilm service uh, in your area uh, it shouldn't uh, do something like that unless you know you left the camera without batteries for a full week and i'm glad you backed up your settings and i recommend everyone to do that and if you are not aware you can download the fujifilm x acquire software and uh, within that software, there's an option to save your camera settings to the computer. And, you know, if you, you're like me, you like to customize your film simulation modes uh, to your own taste. And, uh, you know, you can easily uh, throw those settings back on the, uh, the camera again if uh, anything ever happens. Actually, I have left my camera for a long time without any battery and this never happened to me. So I definitely recommend you go contact your local Fuji dealer. Uh, on the other hand, on this software, maybe that's for people who don't know, what can I all back up uh, within that software? Uh, it's really the uh, the camera settings themselves. So, I mean, if you have, you know, a certain custom configuration, you know, from C1 to C7 that you've set, pretty much the majority of the settings within the camera itself uh, can be backed up in one file. And then, uh, you know, if someone plays with your camera and you want to get it back to you know where you have it perfectly set then of course uh, you can upload that file back onto the the camera again again using x acquire cool does that go for also when i change a camera if i swap my t2 with the t3 can i use the same kind of approach for that no unfortunately not uh you know from camera to camera things generally vary in terms of menus 
uh, and location sometimes and so uh, it only works with uh, the same model but if you have multiple xt3s or, or multiple of the same cameras absolutely you can copy those settings uh, uh, for each of those so if you're in a situation where you're you know sharing cameras between people or you know you have four or five cameras uh, in the group and you want all of them to have the duplicate settings then yeah that's absolutely a way to quickly configure the, the cameras all to be the same all at once and add a good layer of security if you ever need to back up or if exactly something like this happens let's move on to question number two which comes from martin pasco or posco i'm truly sorry if i butchered your name from uh, bratislava in slovakia he would like to know why for example, in the mirrorless world, we do apply a crop factor to sensors, but then when camera manufacturers communicate about their lenses, they do not apply the same crop factor to the aperture. And uh, kind of asking why that is and what the logic is when we apply the crop factor multiplication to the aperture values. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And and to be honest with Martin, I've watched that same video from from Tony as well, uh, who he talks about the uh, uh, the crop factor equivalency and and really, you know, what Tony is saying is more in regards to the uh, the depth of field, right? And as uh, you know, different sensors sizes do somewhat affect the the depth of field uh, and so you know when you put an f 2.8 lens on a you know an xf fix in the 55 for example on onto the fuji system uh it is an f 2.8 but if we compare that uh, to you know um you know an f 2.8 on a say 35 millimeter system um Again, it is still f2.8, but the depth of field does change in, in that sense. So there's some, um, so there's a right and wrong in the sense that, you know, truly on the Fujifilm system, it is an f2.8. That's, that's, that, that's physical. Um, but, you know, again, what Tony is referring to is, is really the look of the image. Uh, and so, um, you know, you obviously have more depth of field control with the with larger sensors right and so he's saying you know somewhat the equivalency of say you know a 2.8 from our lens could be a somewhat 4.2 in terms of the shallow depth of field look to to that so this is purely uh, uh, in regards to the look physically we are talking about a 2.8 aperture and we do not apply uh, a crop factor from a, from a technical point of view correct so the second part of uh, Martin's question is if Fuji is planning to make any kind of f2 zoom lenses for example the xf1655 with an f2.0 aperture is it possible to make this for an APS-C sensor Currently in our lineup, we do have a 16 to 55 f 2.8 constant lens. Uh, you know, of course, as you can see from the size compared to, you know, say uh, 18 to 55 f 2.8 f 4 kit lens that that, that we also have, uh, the size difference is is um, you know obviously uh, bigger when you when you have faster lenses. So, you know, when you're looking at potentially, say, a 16 to 55 f2, you're looking at definitely a much larger lens. And I'm not sure if the, if the question you're asking is, is, is looking in that standpoint or if you're, cons you're thinking of 
potentially our f2 prime lenses being small and compact if there was a zoom series of f2 lenses that would be small and compact and you know to answer that specific question of course uh, that wouldn't be the case uh, because again as you have you know you let in more light you have a uh, faster aperture um, the elements do become bigger and so you know, an F2 lens would quite would be quite large on the Fujifilm system, and personally, I think it would go against, you know, what the X series mirrorless cameras are all about, which is sort of a balance between, you know, having size and weight. So I'm not sure if I would ever see something like that uh, in the Fujifilm system, but you know, who knows? Maybe you know that could be something if there's big enough demand for. Um, hopefully, I answer that question. Correctly, I'm not 100% uh, sure if, again, you're asking just to see if you, there were faster zoom lenses available versus the the current two. But, you know, if you were looking at more about size and weight, I would definitely check out the, the kit, you know, 18 to 55 f2.8 f4. It's not a constant, but, uh, you know, from, you know, people using this camera uh, lenses, I mean, and uh, what they've said about it so far, you know, it's definitely not a kit lens and you know you do get great uh, depth of field uh, control uh, if you wanted you to isolate the subject from the background so one thing is for sure if you like to have a zoom lens with f 2.0 you need to bring the really big bag with you <laughs> so if, if you look at the the xf 200 for example I think it has a correct me if I'm wrong Billy it has a 2.8 aperture right uh, f2 that thing is uh, uh, remarkably large for the Fujifilm system not saying that it's large in general but in in regards to Fuji that is a large lens so it always comes with a with a with a little bit of size if you're looking for you know a constant aperture lens and it's you know in between the size of a say the uh, 16 to 55 to 8 and the 18 to 55 to 8 f4 uh, you know we are coming out with uh, an XF 16 to 80 millimeter f4 constant lens, then that's going to be a beautiful lens, uh, kind of an all-in-one piece that is much, you know, nice and compact in a, in a sense, gives you constant aperture, it's weather resistant, and, uh, you know, it's going to be great for both uh, photos and videos, and it's, uh, you know, in terms of 35 millimeter equivalency, equal to around, you know, 24 to uh, 120 millimeters. When are we going to see that lens uh, in stores? Yeah, Jens, uh, the uh, lens will, uh, you know, will be available, you know, coming at, you know, later this year. So I look forward to that. Good. And that's probably as much information as we're going to get from Billy on these kind of questions, when things are going to come out. We're already used to that and we always appreciate the information we're getting ahead. Let's move on to question number three and we're staying in the lens area. Rick is asking if there are any plans for a or several GF tilt shift lenses. And uh, he would, for example, like to see a 30 millimeter F 4.0. And if there are any plans to build a series of F 2.0 lenses, I'm assuming in the GF universe as well. Rick, thank you for your question. And, and of course, um, you know, we do get a lot of requests uh, for having a native tilt shift lens uh, for the GFX system. I guess right now, you know, everything's always in consideration. I know, you know, some photographers have expressed their interest in a native tilt shift lens. 
Um, currently, it's not on any roadmaps uh, for the GF uh, lens system, so um, I can't really be talking about whether or not uh, that would happen. I think, you know, I think it's up to everyone to keep bugging Fujifilm probably and saying, you know, this is what you want, and and potentially, you know, we'll could consider that and and listen to it. But uh, no, at the moment, it's not on any roadmap. Uh, with regards to having a native tilt shift. Saying that, of course, there's uh, adapters for, you know, lenses like uh, Canon system, Canon tilt shift that you can use uh, if you wanted to have, to have tilt shift uh, lenses at this time. With regards to F2, um, you know, to be honest with you, when we had a meeting uh, a while back, I think, uh, again, a lot of photographers were, were, were asking for you know, faster lenses. I think, uh, you know, when you uh, in medium format size, and uh, you know, you still want to have you know extremely shallow depth of field, and and you know the current f2 lens that we have, which is on the GF 110, it's a beautiful portrait lens. Um, potentially, we'll see something like that. I mean, it's 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 really at the end of the day to depending on technology, how heavy the lenses will be. You know, if we have the autofocus motors uh, that can drive those lenses, that's always an issue. As I mentioned in the past about lens design is that as glass becomes heavier, then, um, you know, we have to have the technology to support that, whether that be, you know, faster, stronger motors without making the lenses, you know, too big, too heavy. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a repetitive thing. I, I believe all most Fujifilm users are kind of uh, hoping for more fast aperture lenses. But uh, as we keep saying, there's the trade-off of size and weight. If we take the 110 on the GF side, I love that lens. I've been uh, using it frequently for a documentary project, fully wide open at 2.0, and even with ISO 12,800, that lens is just amazing and beautiful so i support rick i'd love to see more of those open aperture lenses but uh, we'll see what the future brings from from the fuji side let's move on to question number four mark is asking and i'm going to read the full question here just to be clear about it he says at the fujifilm square gallery in tokyo there was a sign at the gelatin silver exhibition stating that fuji is considering releasing a new black and white film do you have any comment or insight on this what is Fuji's commitment to color and black and white film going forward? And what are the current production levels for emulsions and confectioning? So with regards to your question, um, we recently announced uh, that, yes, we, we will be launching uh, a Neopan, Neopan 100 Acros version 2. Um, so... Um, that was sort of what the message was about was uh, to to say that uh, you know we are coming back with uh, some black and white film uh, you know based on uh, everyone's demand uh, for this uh, with regards to other film stock again you know as you know in times of digital film sales have you know dr drastically declined you know and as much as I, I you know i can see people are wanting to shoot film you know the volume you know really isn't enough to uh to um you know restart any type of uh film line it's it, it gets very costly and you have to have you know basically constant uh, production to keep uh everything very stable 
So this is a, a, a one a one time uh, occasion, or is is this just going to come up occasionally? Is Fujifilm going to release something from time to time as kind of a special thing, or how are we going to looking into the future regarding that? I mean, at this moment, you know, um, always Fujifilm is always you know listening to our customers and and seeing what you know. Uh, the demand is, and if we we see that you know there are high demands, then of course uh, you know we should react as a company, right? And uh, um, in, in saying that as well, you know I think digital cameras nowadays are honestly very good. I definitely can see the appeal to film, um, you know, and there's obviously that look and um, you know the digital cameras have gone a long way, and I, I think you know. As we move forward, I think it's it's going to be tougher and tougher, to be honest with you, to uh, to uh, introduce you know any type of new film. So, I think it's an interesting subject. Uh, it goes a little bit into what we touched uh, last time as well, when we always reference uh, the, the full frame as as kind of the standard for for things in the digital world. You know, personally, from my own standpoint, film is very expensive to shoot. Right? It's not the fact of you know you know getting film and finding film but you know there's a whole ecosystem of you know then getting it developed you know who who can can develop it for you and then and then making those prints as well potentially if you're not scanning scanning those so i mean um from my standpoint uh you know i think there's, there's a lot of passionate people uh who you know love the whole experience of of you know shooting film and developing film and, and enlarging film and uh you know in that sense yes the, i can agree with them there's uh characteristics to to the look of, of some of the some of the film and that even for digital it's hard to replicate but i think you know fujifilm cameras have done a great job with the film simulations from you know acros inside the camera uh, Velvia to even you know adding special grains within the image to give you know unique looks, um, you know. So I think you know uh, if you're shooting film, that's great for you. I'm not gonna say you know that that's bad because you know to be honest with you, I think uh, there's room for everything in this world. Uh, but personally, for myself, uh, I find digital cameras have gone quite a long way, and and especially with our, our images and how the images look from our Fujifilm camera, there's this potentially organic film-like look to it, in my personal uh, opinion. So those were your questions. We always appreciate them. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate. Send us an email at jens at fujilove.com. That's J-E-N-S at fujilove.com. And we are super happy to consider your question for the next episode. Let's get back into our regular topics. And we're going to start with the first point, which is the camera corner. And we're going to a little bit uh, pick up the summertime and talk about uh, a bit of traveling and moving with your gear. And we're going to start off with talking about compact mirrorless cameras in general. Take it away, Billy. Yeah, I thought uh, maybe this episode, uh, as you know, summer nears, uh, at least for North America and and for probably other uh, countries as well, that uh, we're looking at uh, some vacation time and and with vacation we want to capture those memories and uh, you know there's no specific cameras I really want to talk about. I know last time we talked about the GFX 100, 
probably not going to be a camera that you want to take with you on summer vacations. Uh, might be an overkill, but aside from that, you know, um, the whole point of mirrorless cameras, in my opinion, is is that you get that quality that you get from your, you know, professional working camera, but in a more compact size. And so, you know, Fujifilm cameras, there's a lot of great options to look at from, you know, very entry-level XA series cameras all the way up to, you know, our flagship X-T3 uh, cameras. And, you know, today, you know, personally, my, my go-to camera at this time is the uh, X-T30. I have the flexibility of an interchangeable lens. And, you know, with that, um, you know, the image quality is excellent. The autofocus is excellent. Uh, in fact, to be honest with you, any any compact mirrorless camera nowadays are, are, are you know, truly amazing technology. There's really not a, a bad, you know, camera out there uh, per se. And uh, I think, uh, you know, picking a camera that, that you know, is going to fit your needs if you have kids and whatnot and you want a, a simple approach, approach then, you know, uh, a very simple mirrorless camera that, you know, you want to treat as a point and shoot but gives you great quality is probably could be a way to go. You know, a camera like the, uh, um, maybe even an X-T100, you know, is all you need. It takes uh, absolutely amazing photos. And, you know, I have to say, I mean, it, I get sharply surprised with that camera. Um, you know, it is a Bayard sensor filter versus our X-Trans that's found on the majority of our, our X-Series cameras. But um, I don't know, there's something about it, about the look uh, of it. And, uh, you know, as a, as a camera to take photos, I think uh, it's an excellent choice if you just want to get into the Fuji system. But if you want the flexibility, but you want to be as compact as possible, then of course, you know, my go-to is the X-T30. I have a friend who just recently, and it's a good personal friend of mine, who has always been fascinated by the image quality of Fujifilm, and he's not a photographer at all. So I landed him my uh, X-Pro1, actually, my old one, and he went off to a trip with that and came back and was so amazed by the image quality in general that he bought an X-T100, which you just mentioned has a different sensor, but it's so easy to operate and he can produce amazing results with not a lot of effort. And uh, he's a real fan of the XT100. How, what would what would you recommend? Well, the question then came up is, what kind of lenses do you choose? If I choose an XT100 or an XT30, what would you recommend as kind of a going uh, on holidays lens to take with you if you're not a professional photographer? Yeah, that's always going to be a dilemma, at least for me. You know, uh, for most people, there's really no choice because they, they buy a, a mirrorless camera and it comes with, uh, you know, some sort of lens kit uh, if they bought it as a kit. And, you know, for them, that's really all they're going to bring. It's going to be a simple decision for them, right? Uh, for myself, of course, because I have access to, you know, a wide assortment of uh, Fujifilm XF lenses, it gets pretty hard, right? Like, you know, do you sacrifice, you know, um, the ability to shoot in low light, the ability to uh, isolate subjects from the background, you bringing primes only, or do you think about, you know, the flexibility of a zoom and, you know, traveling with two kids, you know, and, and I would assume a backpack full of, uh, snacks for the day and, and, and whatnot, you know, that also sounds very tempting as well. So it's, to me, it's always a, a battle between, you know, what, do I bring? Um, so 
how do I kind of deal with that from my standpoint? I, I think for myself, I love, you know, images where the background is blown out, right? Where, where you know, I have my subject because I take pictures uh, or document my kids and family. Um, you know, I like my subjects to stand out from, from where they are. Uh, and so... To me, a prime lens is going to do that. It, it's generally um, also going to give me a much sharper image. And, you know, those two things, in my personal opinion, is what makes a, an image pop, right? That it's very sharp and that the subject is clearly isolated from, you know, you know the surroundings. And uh, to me, it's not a, a, a no-brainer that I, I bring a prime lens. Now, do I bring my zoom lens? Um, Truthfully, a lot of times I don't actually, and uh, you know I, I live with uh, what I have, and I and to me I think slowing down a little bit with primes gets me more keepers than a lot of you know uh, I would say random shots using a zoom lens. I, I I tend to get too lazy with the zoom lens. I stand there, I start zooming in, taking a snapshot, zooming out, taking a snapshot, and then it's just none of the images are connect in my own in my own personal opinion but in saying that if i'm having to hike up somewhere uh and i'm limited by gear you know what i would sacrifice my primes just to have one you know zoom and you know personally i'm definitely looking forward to the 16 to 80 mil lens that that is coming the f4 lens because i think that's going to be a perfect combination of you know very sharp images a good length that's wide enough to cover landscape but also um, long enough to to get uh, uh, closer to the action whether it be you know trying to do a landscape shot if i if i could but i'm too far away or just you know doing some you know impromptu uh, portrait shooting with that so um i guess everyone has their own, own own things but if you want lightweight and it's a need a necessity Go with the zoom, and if you got Fuji's 18 to 55 kit zoom lens, you you really can't go wrong. It's quite a sharp lens, and uh, it, it still would give you isolation. But if you're very picky about quality and you want the best of the best, uh, definitely a couple of prime lenses would be my choice. Uh, you know, for traveling. Are you sticking to your principles when you travel, or you tend to overpack anyway? Uh, I, I used to overpack, to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, honestly, from the, in the last, I don't know, five, six years, I do stick to the principle. And, and you know what? I bring one or two primes, and that's it. And I'm going to live with, you know, what I can capture with those. And I always tend to find when I get home that I enjoy those pictures more because the, the two set focal length, they're not random focal lengths. And, and by going from image to image, they have a, a consistent look to, to that. Uh, so I do try to stick to that uh, very well, yeah. Yeah, I'm coming from the very pragmatic side. I always pack one body and maximum two lenses, which both are, are prime lenses. Although there are situations where you cannot get close to something or where, you know, there's just the circumstances don't allow to really consciously choose your frame where a zoom lens can be very useful. How would you characterize, like, who, who is the right customer for getting a zoom lens when they go travel? Definitely if it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip and you know that things will be 
from a distance you know the prime lens is probably not going to do it for you and uh, there's no way you're going to be picking up the the super telephoto prime lenses on your trip uh, unless it's definitely a safari trip of some sort where you know that's that's the way to go but for most typical people um you know i think um the zoom lens is definitely something that you definitely need to look at right uh, for it and you know we have several different options within the fuji lineup you know, personally for me, uh, if I do need to reach and I am traveling, you know, that's that's great assortment of, I guess, telephoto zoom lens within the Fuji lineup. Uh, but I would actually, you know, pick up the XC50 to 230 lens. Uh, it is sort of our, you know, lower grade lens in the sense that, you know, it's not an XF lens, so the built is, is still in you know, this plastic mount and stuff like that. But Truthfully, you know, for the reach that you get and for the image quality that you get, uh, plus the fact that, you know, it's small, lightweight, and compact, um, it's definitely a lens that I, I would probably take with me over even some of the higher rated lens, uh, zoom lenses that we have, like maybe the 55 to 200. It's, again, smaller and more lightweight. And at that point, at the 230 millimeter reach, you know, I am, I'm going to be happy with whatever I get, to be honest with you. And I've, and I've shot actually and compared the two lenses and the 50 to 230 actually stands out, uh, you know, being an excellent choice for traveling. And uh, the quality is, is actually surprisingly good. Um, while again, like I said, maintaining sort of a, a lightweight uh, option within your, your bag. And the price point is 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 really interesting too. I mean, if we're talking about the X XT30 and the uh, XT100, you maybe do not want to add a four-digit lens. So the uh, um, XC50 to 230 comes at uh, at a really interesting price point that makes it affordable also to take it with you. And uh, if anything happens, you are not going to lose that uh, highly valued piece of gear. Absolutely, I totally agree. <laughs> With the zoom lenses, uh, what I figured is the trick is just zoom lenses can be tempting uh, to make things easy. But if you kind of limit yourself and say, I'm still going to consciously look for a frame and I'm going to consciously choose kind of a a focal length, you can still do the same kind of photography. It's just that you have to kind of remind yourself that you need to work the picture and not just zoom it. Yeah, that's actually that's a great point. You know, uh, pick your focal length within that zoom. Uh, and try to keep, you know, consistent with a lot of shots, you know, with, within that same focal length, right? And I think, uh, you know, by doing that, I think uh, your images will look much more, uh, you know, as a set of images coming out of that lens, right? And, um, yeah, I think that's definitely a, a great uh, little tip. I think it's a, it's a good thing to do. I say it in workshops, if, if, you, if you struggle to find frames, uh, just, you know, set your zoom on whatever you, you fancy, be it uh, 35, 50 or 80 millimeters or whatever you think is good for you, and then try to just work with that frame. It will make you probably improve on your photography because you start consciously taking pictures. And that's exactly it. Right. My favorite two travel lenses, and this has never changed over the last uh, three years, is the, the 56 uh, 1.2 and the 35 
and I'm about to add in the 23 1.4 into the mix and I feel kind of complete with that setup when I go on travel it's not heavy it fits into one bag and I can deal with most situations what do you take with you when you go on a two three week trip uh, so for myself uh, and I'm talking sort of in the past um, I would actually take uh, two prime lenses it would be actually the f2 lenses so I would take the 35 f2 and um i would also take the 50 f2 as well although truthfully it doesn't get much usage uh on the trip but i always feel like you know if, if i need a, a quick pinch to get a little bit tighter of a shot you know the 50 mil is kind of there for me and um you know i'm gonna be honest i you know, half the time throw in the 18 to 55 lens. And again, you know, to be honest with you, um, I would say 80% of the time, the 35 F2 is, is on the camera. And, uh, and the other two lenses, you know, don't get the use that it should get. So I kind of, kind of con contradicting myself in the sense that, you know, I try to bring whatever i can that i'm gonna use but uh, uh but saying that you know all three of these lenses you know compared to traditional lenses on an slr are still quite compact right now for my love of the f2 lenses you know in the last month or so i have to be pretty honest with you and i look back at a lot of my images that i shot and now, currently, I have the 35 f 1.4 stuck stuck on my camera. I, I love this lens now. I don't know why I forgot about this lens. I know we talked about this in in um in previous podcasts, but man, I, I just the look of the images coming out of the 35 1.4. You know, I keep telling people the 35 f 2, 35 f 2, but the 35 1.4 is beautiful. And again, um, that's kind of now stuck to me. So my next vacation that, that I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm actually going to leave the 35F2 lens at home. I'm going to take the 35F1.4 instead. Um, and in saying that, when I look through all these images I shot in the past with, you know, there's images that keep coming up in mind for me that look stunning and they were always shot with the 56 1.2 so now you know i'm considering to bring the 35 1.4 and the 56 1.2 with me on vacation and those two you know i think uh for myself makes my images pop i, I just you know uh, <laughs> i it's just those two lenses to me are what makes the fujifilm system and and, uh, you know, it's almost kind of like your combination of lenses. It's literally the same. And all I can say about that is amen, because I fully agree <laughs> with you. <laughs> Those two lenses have been with me everywhere I go. But I think you mentioned another interesting point, which is we usually pack stuff. And even if we think we need those three lenses, if we are honest with ourselves, at the end of the day, we're using one lens 80% of the time, just as you mentioned, and I'm guilty of the same crime. So it's also always a good thing, which I think is an interesting approach before you actually go on a travel to to check 
what kind of lenses you have been most successful with recently or over the last two or three years. I mean, you can filter that in whatever software you use. And sometimes it brings a little bit of clarity on what equipment you actually just kind of uh, carry around and what equipment really gets gets uh, use while you're out there. No, excellent point, uh, Jens, on that. And again, that was sort of an awakening for myself in looking at images and going, whoa, I like this. What did I, what lens did I use? And, you know, every time it came up, it was 35.14 or 56.1.2. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see if the, if the 23.1.4 can, can, uh, maybe take the place that my 56 1.2 had because that's my 80 percent of all image lenses so I'll, I'll let you know in the future how that went but uh, on my next uh, longer street photography stretch which is probably going to be in new york the the, the 23 1.4 is going to get a lot of use and i'm very much looking forward to that speaking of traveling let's talk about uh, accessories that we bring along now we're going to start up with this specific topic but we might also just gonna discuss a bit in general what we bring which are the little helpers and tricks that we have with us that uh, maybe have saved our lives at some point but let's start uh, with the accessory tripod when we go travel a thing that you have to log around you have to carry you have to bring with yourself but it can be very useful in a lot of situations right billy yes it absolutely can but you know in saying that and I hate tripods. Yeah, me too. I hate carrying a tripod. I hate, you know, carrying bigger bags so I can fit a tripod. Um, I just, I almost sometimes think, you know what? I don't need to be in the picture. You know, if I don't, if I can leave my tripod at home, you know, I'm okay with, with just taking pictures, you know, of, of my family without me in it. <laughs> uh, and to be honest with you, the majority of time, you know, of, you know, when I think about a tripod, you know, first off, for me, it's it's taking pictures of of myself in the picture, right? That's probably my primary reason of of bringing a tripod. I know, um, you know, for many others, uh, you know, you want to get a very steady shot, and you're you're definitely doing some sort of landscape type of shooting, and and so in that situation, hundred percent, you know, uh, bring a good steady tripod, uh, depending on you know what you do so in saying that what do i do personally in in when it comes to trying to get my own shots uh i'm guilty i i, I do have those um you know gorilla pods or those flexible tripods that somewhat fit in my bag uh they kind of stick out a little bit um but um you know i do bring that just so that uh, i can grip it somewhere so that i can be actually in the photos, right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially if I want to be focused <laughs> in that shot as well. Uh, and that's probably the primary reason why I bring a tripod. You know, as you know, there's obviously quite a lot of tripods and I'm sure anyone who's, who's you know, listening to the Fuji podcast, you've, you own your own tripod and you have your, your, your brand. Uh, again, for me, it's about lightweight. So anything that's small, lightweight, that can actually hold, you know, a mirrorless camera steady enough, uh, to me is, you know, gets my thumbs up. I'm with you. Um, and in several aspects, first of all, I, I really, no offense to nobody, and uh, I don't like uh, tripods, basically because I, maybe I don't use them or I use them very rarely. If I use them, it's most likely always in some kind of a video or a moving image context. But I do bring one. 
always, which is a small gorilla pod, which has basically no weight. And whenever I need it, I just pull it out and, and kind of use it. Because uh, I'm traveling, by the way, next week uh, for doing video work. And uh, if you go with larger tripods, you always have to kind of uh, deal with uh, airlines as well. You have to sometimes check them in differently. It's either um, oversized luggage or it brings different kind of problems uh, with it. So, yeah, I mean, small and light is always the way to go. And I'm sure there's many other brands out there, as we just mentioned, Gorillapod twice. Uh, but that one is always in my bag. Well, very similar in that, in that sense. Um, now, if I am, you know, heading out and I wanted to potentially do a hike, a day hike with the family, uh, yes, I would bring a tripod. I would bring a very cheap tripod. Uh, again, you know, being very small and lightweight enough so that I can just be in the picture. Uh, would I be using the tripod a lot? No, it would be probably a maximum of, of two different scenes that I would take that, you know, m myself would, I myself would be in the shot, you know. Um, and so I have various tripods of all size and weight. Uh, they get very little usage. Uh, my Gorillapod gets the most usage, but even then, I'd rather not bring it out. You know, what, what do you guys think with, with accessories? Maybe we want to hear your thoughts about, uh, you know, usage of tripods and and what you guys prefer to do with them. And, and do you prefer to bring tripods out? Let us know. Uh, we'll be interested to know. Maybe we can even pick that up one day and uh, talk to somebody who's a heavy tripod user. I know people who are heavy tripod users and they're mostly into, into landscape, but then they specifically pack and go for that. And that's just kind of part of the deal that you bring that kind of gear with you. But send us your thoughts. We're happy to pick them up and maybe even make an episode about it in the future. Now, as I said before, quickly, do you have any like small tips or little gadgets that you bring when you travel that kind of make your life easier or maybe even have already saved your life at some point? Yeah, um, you know, for sure, with mirrorless cameras, they do eat up a lot of batteries. So always, 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 um, you know, I have one fully charged battery in the camera and two fully charged batteries uh, in my pouch. Uh, with me at all times, that's going to ensure that, you know, I can spend the full day and shoot with the camera without worrying about the batteries dying. Uh, what I always do at the end of every trip is I remove all the batteries out of my bags and I charge them again. And uh, I, I, I then leave them uh, so that the next time, you know, I don't have to think about them being charged and I just kind of go right that makes sense what i do speaking of charging batteries uh what i would recommend you if you go travel is maybe bring dual chargers i always have two of those the reason being is i don't want to put my alarm and get up in the middle of the night to change the batteries so i can always be sure i have at least four or six charged batteries the next day depending if i bring two or, or three of them so that has been saving my life at uh, at a lot of occasions that's a very good tip and uh, you know uh, I think, you know, I want to just clarify when I say I charge my batteries up fully. Uh, it's what I do, but I've been actually told, uh, you know, for lithium batteries, it's actually not good to charge your batteries full and keep it at a full state. Uh, so I've been told to actually have it at, you know, 60% charge 
so you know technically you shouldn't listen to my tip at all if you want to maintain your your batteries but you know i'm just going to say to be honest with you i, I don't follow that and uh i do fully charge my batteries at the end of any usage so even though i take you know 20 shots you know when i get home i pull the batteries out of the batteries uh, out of the camera and i just dump it in the charger then i put it aside and i know that uh, next time i go out i always deal with 100 percent charged batteries to be honest with you i do exactly the same and i have never noticed any major downsides to that but i'm sure on a, on a scientific level there might be a difference at the end of the day but uh, yeah i do exactly the same thing i prefer to be ready instead of having maybe uh, a few months more life out of my batteries plus i have to tell you i mean my very first batteries that i used with the x pro one they still perform beautifully today so wherever the, the the wear and tear happens it might not be in the very near future the last point we have is always the tip corner now something i never ever do but can be very useful to you because i'm not the reference here and billy has a tip for you have your picture taken by others and that kind of ties into the tripod discussion as well take it away billy yeah the reason i i bring this up is because uh if you know me well you know that i hate carrying stuff with me and if i could you know give some something to somebody else to carry i would <laughs> and uh, in my situation with my family you know i don't really have anything to give to anybody else to carry for me so uh, in a lot of times i leave the tripod at home so I, I lose out on you know getting the the perfect family shot because uh, you know I can't really set something up, and so I do have to rely sometimes on that good Samaritan that's walking by uh, that can kind of take your picture. And you know I have a a short story. Um, you know this was a while ago in in Niagara Falls, Canada. Uh, you know, and we were just looking at the Horseshoe Falls on the Canadian side and, you know, very touristy spot where you want to take a great family shot that, you know, you're at the falls. Um, and, you know, I was struggling to find someone that could take a picture. And, you know, as people walked by, um, I was kind of trying to identify the person that looked like they had a serious camera because that person would kind of know how to take the shot. And and I found someone, he had an SLR. Uh, SLRs were obviously very popular but at that time still and probably still now. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I asked him to take that photo of my wife and I. He took two shots. Sadly, both of those shots were completely out of focus. Uh, my focus point was dead in the center on my screen. And, uh, you know, we as a family were kind of, you know, on one side and on the other side of the picture uh, was the falls. And so basically our faces were completely out of focus on both shots, sadly. So um, how do you avoid those situations? What I do now, uh, first off, a um, couple of things um, on the Fujifilm cameras, especially the X-T30, um, you have an auto switch. I flipped that because at that point, I want the camera to turn on everything, including face and eye detection. And, and I think, to be honest with you this year, um, face detection and more specifically eye detection is a game changer. You know, I think uh, the reliability of the system you know, from, you know, the Fujifilm brand to even other camera manufacturers, 
it truly is something that you can rely on now for for taking great photos and for taking in focus pictures uh, and so um you know i i would turn on face and eye detection and trust that especially if you have a camera that's uh you know uh launched in the, in the last year and and so uh it's very very reliable and i think someone who can just pick it up and not know anything about half pressing and taking pictures, you are going to get those 100% keepers every time you, you get a family shot now. So facing eye detection for me will be always turned on uh, when I pass the camera out. Now, if I don't have face and eye detection on my camera, uh, my tip to you uh, would be to change your focus point from single to a multi-focus, right? Where the camera is going to pick you know different areas in the scene that it thinks is the main subject and nine times out of ten it's going to pick you and the family as the object that needs to be in focus so uh, that's the way to go on the fuji cameras i would also change it to the zone uh focusing um and i would actually take that box and make it kind of uh fit 40% of the center portion of the scene so that, you know, I know that that good Samaritan that's going to take my picture, they're going to center my family right in the middle. And so having that big giant box surrounding my family, I know, again, that I'm going to get my shot in focus. And to be absolutely sure that I'm in focus and the family's in focus, I close the aperture down a little bit as well, you know, so I typically shoot wide open as much as I can. When I give it to somebody else, I take it from 1.4, say on the 35mm lens, for instance, and I bring it to an f2.8 instead, just in case, again, uh, that person is not knowing how to exactly focus. That makes a lot of sense, uh, and I, I agree with you. I mean, eye and face detect detection on the Fujifilm cameras works brilliantly fine. And uh, also, if you have a, an XT100, for example, you can, uh, if you don't have a stranger photographing you, you can flip the screen also 100% and kind of frame it yourself if you can get enough distance or if you have a, a, a short lens. So as, we, as we've been talking about uh, traveling and going on holidays, uh, just a quick question, Billy, where do you go this year, roughly? Yeah, this year, you know, uh, I have this thing for cruises now, and, uh, you know, I have a, a cruise uh, later on this year down to the uh, Caribbean. You know, being Canada, you need to get some warmth, and, uh, you know, I want to go down south and kind of enjoy the weather uh, for that. So definitely my camera's always going to be there with me on the go, uh, and I'm going to have my two prime lenses, 35 1.4, the 56 1.2, and I can probably guarantee you that I can get stellar shots with those two lenses. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Uh, I'm going to spend uh, my fall in New York and I can't wait to, to, to shoot street there. And we will, of course, have uh, Billy back uh, next month uh, with another uh, surprise guest. And uh, again, if you have any questions for us, please send them to us. Also, if you have any suggestions, if you have uh, tips or maybe even criticism, we're very happy to receive that. Just drop me an email at jens at fujilove.com. That's J-E-N-S at fujilove.com. And uh, we'll be back next month with more of that good Fujifilm information. Billy, thanks so much. Yeah, and thanks for having me. So uh, see you next month, Billy, and thank you very much. 
Thank you for checking in and listening to the Fujilove.com podcast. Check out Fujilove.com where we live and breathe all things Fujifilm and photography with Fujifilm cameras. <laughs>